0: So when you have an ADD mind like mine, every time I walk in this building now, I'm looking at the floor because I'm trying to make sense of it all. I just can't help it. I'm looking for rhyme or reason. How about you, Adam? Did you find that problematic at all? (laughs) It's just that I can't stop looking down. It's just It's like an abyss of stuff. I, I like it though very much. Very grateful that we as a church can uh, come together and, and do things like that. It's a it's a real blessing to be able to have a facility like we do to gather and worship in, and that we can do that. So I am not lost on the fact that the messages as of late have been rather tough. Um, it's a tough time, and. Uh, you know you you have to you just have to preach what god tells you to do or you're in trouble so i've been trying to do that and and at the same time keep myself out of it and consequently i don't plan my messages in advance i usually wake weekly i i weekly go through them even if i'm doing a series through a particular book I, I generally wait weekly to go through them and i wasn't quite sure where to go from last week it was a very short but intense message and uh talking about how uh, burdened people pray. Of course, we had corporate prayer, and that's why we did that. But today, as it turns out, the Lord kind of gave a part two to that. So I'm going to be talking about how God responds to the prayers of burdened people, right? It's one thing to pray with burden. It's quite another to wonder about how God responds to such things. Um, Also... I want to share with you something from a man named Dallas Willard. Anyone here ever heard of Dallas Willard? Oh, cool! Right on. Well, Dallas Willard—it uh, was—he's passed away now, but uh, he was—I think—he he was a college professor. He was also a Southern Baptist pastor, and he was a philosopher, and spoke much about the interplay of the um, the soul of man, the mind of man, and the spirit of man. Okay. You may know it as a dichotomy of man. Some of you may hold to a trichotomy of man. To Dallas Willard, the answer was yes. Okay, and you'll never be able to qualify all those things. And and, and, and I love Dallas. I agree with almost 99.9% of what he says. But this one I particularly agree with when he said this. Prayer is a power-sharing device that God has worked out for a world of recovering sinners. Okay, so... Prayer is a power-sharing device that God has worked out for a world of recovering sinners. Notice he says recovering sinners. We by If we know Jesus Christ by faith and we've repented of our sin, we are a recovering sinner. How long will we be recovering? Until we die. Okay, 1 John lays that down really good. We are sinful people, so... Please don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that uh, somehow in this life you can attain to complete sanctification before you die. First John says that's not going to happen. However, we are to pursue godliness and holiness and those things. You're going to fail. You're going to notice those failures the more and the closer you get to Jesus. You're going to see more of how wicked and evil you are. And you're going to see the world in that degree too. It's the price you pay for getting close to Jesus. But you can either notice it and, and have conviction over that and, 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 and grow to want more of the Lord, or you can ignore it and go the way of the world and just become numb to it and not paying attention to anything at all. And I don't think that's good. So, I want to talk today a little bit about how God responds to the prayers of burdened people. Now, it's easy in every message preached to, to, to go to the issue of judgment upon sin. We know that God judges sin. But one thing that we see also in Scripture that needs to be uh, highlighted is the fact that in the darkest days of the, of the nation of Israel, whether it be the southern kingdom or the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, could be in the New Testament in the Church. In the darkest times, it seemed God does His greatest things. I'm going to read to you an excerpt here uh, to highlight just how bad things were back in the 1700s in America. Okay? All right. This is from uh, American church historian J. Edwin Orr. Anyone remember J. Edwin Orr? Or not? Okay. Well, he cites this. And he was writing in a book that I'm started called Henry Blackaby's Fresh Encounter, God's Plan for Your Spiritual Awakening, revised. And what this is, is a historical compendium of of revival and how it came into being in America, how these things happened. So just listen to what it was like. The last 20 years of the 18th century, so we're talking 1780, okay, Um were the darkest period spiritually and morally in the history of American Christianity. What? <laughs> and I'm thinking, you hadn't lived now. <laughs> but he writes this, the low watermark of, of its lowest ebb tide when infidelity rode roughshod over the feelings of the, dis- of the disoriented majority. At that time, 1780s, okay, There were only two students at Princeton University who openly professed to be religious. And when he says religious here, you have to understand he's referring to Christian. Because there was a time when religious equaled Christian, okay? Students at Williams College conducted a mock communion service, which in fact they were mocking the communion service. They did this at the school openly. Then there was the known as the filthy speech movement. The filthy speech movement was popular, encouraging people to use the most shocking profanity. Christians were so unpopular in Ivy League schools, which were permitted with, or permeated with deism, that they met in secret and kept their minutes in code. During, the, during this period, Chief Justice Marshall wrote to Bishop Madison of Virginia and declared, now this is a shocking statement, that the church was too far gone to be redeemed. 1780s. I love it when people love history. Christians became scandalized at the sinister spiritual climate pervading society. With the atheistic teachings of David Hume and Thomas Paine being widely embraced by college students and their professors... American society seemed to have fallen irredeemably far from God. The young people of that era were steeped in skepticism and a profound worldliness. Significantly, many of the greatest movements of God have begun among young people. What an irony. During the first great awakening in the 1730s, Jonathan Edwards noticed it was among the formerly party-going young adults their renewed interest in spiritual things began from parting to praying. (laughs) Likewise, the Second Great Awakening, 1780s, mind you, the Second Great Awakening may be traced to a spiritual stirring among students at Hampton-Sydney College in Virginia in 1787. Four students, William Hill, Carrie Allen, James Blythe, and Clement Reed, None of whom had been active Christians met together because they were appalled at the moral condition of their school. At one point, they locked themselves in a room and spoke quietly for fear of being discovered by other students. However, however, after some initial opposition, (laughs) over half the student body placed their faith in Christ. So, Dallas Willard again. Prayer. Prayer is a power-sharing device that God has worked out for a world of recovering sinners. You want to know why I talk about praying so much? You you think I'm about to say something witty. I'm not. I'm, I'm about to say something very transparent, shocking, right? Because I've come to the point where I finally understand. It's not how professional we can make our music. It's not how spruced up we can make our facility. It isn't about how I can dazzle you with eloquent oratory from this pulpit. It isn't, it isn't even about sharing cool stories that make you weep or make you laugh. Who I am here is only a direct reflection of who I am when I'm behind the door on my face. Amen. Who we are together Today is only a reflection of who we are independently before the Lord Monday through Saturday prayer is our only weapon and it is our greatest weapon for when we fire that missile we fire it from the strength the sovereignty and the power of God And when it fires, it's always sending out the shrapnel of the word of God which permeates the soul. Do you know what you call the environment with which missiles are fired? War. And that's where we are. So with that, I want to turn you back to Deuteronomy chapter 9 and 10. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and 10. Now last week I talked to you about the position of Moses. He comes down off Mount Sinai. God told him, get down, the people have corrupted themselves. He comes down off the side of the mountain. Exodus 32 has, us, has him going all the way down in and dealing and cleaning house. Deuteronomy 9 is sort of a uh, remembering of Moses giving his farewell address And saying, before I came down, though I stayed another 40 days, and I prayed and interceded for you with fasting. And it says, I prostrated myself. And he made a point of saying it twice. Because he knew that the nation, and the the reason he threw the Ten Commandments down was because they had already broken the covenant. (laughs) Couldn't even get it delivered. And he knew that right there, there was a choice to make. He either goes down and tries to make it right himself, or he goes to the one whom he has to please. And he went to God because he knew God was about to judge them hard and kill them. Okay? And we read about that. And that's like a hard part, right? That's tough. The point being is that he knew the hour was so grave, so serious, that it wasn't just normal setting up prayer that they needed. It was getting, putting your face in the dirt praying that they needed. And I would, I would submit that this is like 1780. We need to get down on our face and pray too. So I just have to say, a certain brother in the church whom I have come to really appreciate and love um, said, you know, I was praying this week about Sunday's message and it occurred to me that I think that we should get as many people as want to anytime during their daily devotions. It's on them. But that we would commit for the next 40 days of prostrating ourselves before the Lord, to pray and intercede for our nation and for each other because it's that serious. And so, you know, I've been committing to do that. And by the way, you're, you're welcome to join me wherever, whenever ta- that time of day is. But I want to say there's something rather low <laughs> about getting on your face and praying. Now, if you're of the... Uh, if you can't get up, don't do that. Okay, don't, don't, just, this isn't, no, you don't want to do that, okay? (laughs) This is for those who who can get down and up again, all right? But there's something very humbling, very uh, vulnerable about laying out on your face before God and praying. You can't get any lower unless you're in a hole. And and when you do that, and so you think, well, do you have to do that? No, you don't have to do that. But I want to say this, why not? We're at that time. But like in 1780, what could God do? Which is why I want to continue on in Deuteronomy 10. Now, look here with me. Moses is interceding in Deuteronomy 9 for the nation. He says in verse 29... Yet they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. So an intercessor always takes the person that needs the help and the, and the hand of the one who can give all the help and he joins them together. And Moses is reminding God of all that God had done. Now look at this. How God responds to the prayers of burdened people, it's right there in, verse, in chapter 10, verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, At that what time? At what time? At prayer time? What kind of prayer time? At get on your face prayer time. He said to me, at that time, hew or make for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. When you understand the severity of this story, verse one should make you weak. Because they had blown it. If you'll read down with me. Verse 10 and 11. I'm, I don't, I'm not even doing my notes yet. It says, in, it says in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 10. As at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord also heard me at that time. And the Lord chose not to destroy you. That was how serious it was. And then it says, Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 1 of chapter 10 is so beautiful because it's mercy. It's God saying, let's go again. It's the second chance, if you will. In their case, probably fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh by this time. And like us, we need those kind of chances. God responds to the prayers of burnt people simply by hearing and then speaking. Now, get this again. God was going to destroy them. You remember remember MacGyver? Anyone remember the show MacGyver? All of the older folks do, of which I'm... (laughs) I'm into that, right? Inspector Gadget used to be big for us kids. Um, but anyway, MacGyver was always dismantling a bomb about one second before detonation, right? And you're just like on the edge of your seat. <gasps> Is he going to make it? He's made it in all the other episodes. He's going to make it on this one. But it held our attention, right? It, it was three, two. Then, then he pulls out the wire. Oh, and he's all sweating it because he wasn't quite sure how to do it. And he used a Swiss Army knife to do it. Remember? (laughs) Everybody had a Swiss Army knife, if you were cool. And a mullet. But it was that close. Well, this was a MacGyver moment. Moses and MacGyver. God was about to wipe them out. Kill them. Done. Finished. Nothing but carbon left. They had blown it. He, he, had made the, he had made the tablets. He had wrote the law down. He was going to covenant with the people. And before he could even give it to them, they had broke it. Yes. So Moses prayed because he, he knew and he reminded God of his great mercy because he knew God too. Hey, there's a verse in the New Testament somewhere. If you look in the back, you'll find it. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. We need to live there. Verse 1 is that. That verse in the Old Testament's right there. Because when God said, At that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself. Now, why did he say it to Moses? Because Moses had been talking to God. And now God was talking to Moses. In response to what? In response to preserving the people and sparing their life. In response to forgiving and giving mercy. In spite of incomprehensible disobedience. God said, So, all right, you go gather you some stones and you come on back up here. Come on back, son. And we'll ride on those again. And then you can go give the people my covenant. And then you head out to possess the land. It was one second before complete ignition. But Moses prayed. In 1780, four students prayed. In the Welsh Revival, teenagers prayed. In the Hebrides revival, two old sisters prayed from 10 at night till 3 in the morning. People prayed. And you say to me, man, preacher, we all know how to pray. I know we know how. But do we? So there's praying, and then there's praying. Like your life depended on it. I remember one time, My dad was so mad at me (laughs) because I had jerked. I'm trying to, I know some of y'all don't speak ag, but uh, I I had a clevis hitch on a tractor and the tongue, the bull tongue stuck in the middle and there's a pin goes down and that had broke and I didn't look back. I just kept driving. (laughs) Well, the reason was because it's kind of looked kind of dark. And those hydraulic hoses blew, and it blew hydraulic fluid all over the back windshield, and dust settled all over it, and I was just fine, because I couldn't see a thing. So I just kept turning, and going straight, and turning, and, and he came to me. Oh, he was furious. And he said, and I'll never forget these words. I want your complete, undivided attention. In the Royce Kelly way, he said it. Could have made hell stand on its head. Okay, and it, believe me, he had my complete undivided attention. When you see this, stop <laughs> you know <laughs> I never have to worry about that anymore. That was that was this moment. When God's people pray with burden God listens and acts. Please, when you read the narrative of judgment in Scripture, I want you to notice the save in it. I want you to notice where the mercy comes into it. And I want you to know how heartbroken it is when God's people sometimes reject that mercy. The Babylonians happen. The Assyrians happen. Ananias and Sapphira, they happen. Jeremiah 29.11 then is sort of an example of this statement in the green. I I put that up there just so it highlights stuff. Jeremiah 29.11 says, and we all know it, right? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. That's true, guys. It's, It's true. To give you a future and a hope. Now, we're not Jews, but the promises of Abraham... I mean, we're grafted into that tree, so we have, some, we have some bark in the deal, all right? Then it says, look, then you will call upon me and go to pray. Now, what is that? That's pray. And notice what it says here. I will listen to you. I think we've just learned a valuable uh, scriptural principle. When we pray in sincerity, with burden, God listens. Okay. So, if you think, if I pray in sincerity and burden in my daily devotional life, will God listen? Yes, He will. It says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Which I guess stands to reason that if you don't search Him and seek Him with all your heart, you ain't going to find Him. that's just, that's one of those Barney Five wows. You just ain't gonna. (laughs) But he says, I will be found by you. And now notice the I wills. I will bring you back from your captivity. There's another cool I will. I will gather you from the nations and from all the places where I have driven you. And then finally, I will bring you to the place from which I cause you. I cause you to be carried away captive. I love the I wills. I just want to get my I do's right. So we see then, would we all agree, that there's a scriptural principle here of when God's people pray with burden, God listens and acts. Right? Okay. Number two. Or... Yeah, I'm still going here. I just read in ten one, The Lord said to me, when When God's people pray with burden, God listens and acts. In Deuteronomy 10, again, as I said, The Lord said to me. When God speaks, when we pray, He speaks to us. Now, you may think that to be kind of strange. How does He speak to us? He speaks to us through the Word. That's why it's a really good strategy to have your Bible when you pray. And that's why it's a really good thing when the Lord begin to, how can I say this, and I, don't, I know I talk about it a lot, but if you hear Sharon over here sometimes, I'll be thinking of a verse, well, she knows where it's at, and I think that's pretty cool, and I'm a little envious of it, but you've been memorizing Scripture for a long time, okay? My problem is I don't memorize Scripture. I know tons of Scripture. I don't know where the addresses are, so I've got to go search them. Okay, so there's a Google moment in my prayer life, and the Lord gives grace. But the more you read your Bible, okay, the more you read your Bible, the more you study the Word, the more familiar you, come, you become with the Scripture. When you pray, you will find yourself being prompted with verses that you've read, even fragments of verses that you've read which consequently, that's what turns into my Google moment because I'll want to go find it. So I type it in, then I find it, and then I'm like, okay, and then I will pray through that verse or I will reflect on that verse. But the point of the matter is I've I've been diligent enough to put the word in so God can bring it out. The Lord said to me, see, In in, in 10.11 here, as we just go back down here, the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days, at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, I did that again, the Lord heard me at that time also. Your success and your diligence in prayer isn't going to be a one-time done thing. This is your battleground. This is where you live. This is where you're constantly going to have to go back to. It has to be predictable behavior for you. If Moses had to go up to the mountain several times, how many times are you and I going to have to go up to the mountain? But the question is, do we even remember there is a mountain? Do we even understand that there is a place to go, to get before your Creator and cry out? Do you have a burden to cry out? Last week, I think I remember saying something to the effect of, if you don't have a burden and you claim to know Jesus, you best find out why. Number two. God responds by relenting and restoring. What? Relenting? Relenting is a really cool old word. It really is. Um... It basically means that God reserves the right to not do what He was about to do because there's been a change in our attitude. I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 14. An unlikely book, I guess, to connect these two together. As reading through here, and by the way, just know this. Here's another example of an advertisement for why you should have a daily devotional life and Bible reading plan. My, these sermons are all coming out of me reading through my little yearly Bible reading schedule. But I don't go search, where shall I find the sermon this week? It's just, it's just kind of when you're reading through your yearly Bible reading schedule and you're listening, He just pops it up. You know? And then you highlight everything and you turn everything yellow and red. Okay? So, a couple things here relenting and restoring. Now, Hosea was written to the northern kingdom of Israel. And I want to read to you, if I may, just a little background in my Bible. And some of you have the same thing. You may have an introductory portion to the book in the beginning. Here's what it says, and you tell me if it doesn't sound familiar. Outwardly, the nation is enjoying a time of prosperity and growth. But inwardly, moral corruption and spiritual adultery permeate the people. Okay, now that we made that dot. So, old Hosea is called to go take a wife of harlotry. And he does. And She has kids who are named appropriately for how bad things are. Tough break. And it's bad. And God's about ready to... I mean, He is right there. It's a 3-2-1 moment. Again, it's a MacGyver moment. Verse uh, 14. O Israel. I mean, chapter 14, verse 1. O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. And then verse 2 caught my eye and I was so amazed by it. Look at this, please. This is one of those times. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Are you kidding me? Take words with you? No bulls? No animals? Nothing to kill? Take words with you. And I just thought on that. I meditated on that. Our world is inundated with words. We use words to communicate every day. These, these things are word devices. Text them, you speak them, you look them up. All words. The media that everyone hates, that they know is talking out of both sides of their mouth, all words. The whole world is stirred up because of words. Therefore, the whole old saying goes, Talk's cheap. But notice what God says that they're supposed to bring to Him. Words. That's what the prophet Hosea says. Take words with you and say. (laughs) Say these words. This is a prayer. And I think this is where we should all start. On behalf of our country and on behalf of every other dysfunctional thing in our life. Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. For we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. And then they make a declaration in verse 3. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, You are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. Now, what do we have here? What are these words? These words are simply this. They're the prayer of repentance. Here's what we've done. The northern kingdom of Israel was looking to Assyria for help. They were looking for horses to make them rise up. They were putting hope in everything else, i.e., government, stimulus money, people and candidates and political narrative and all kinds of stuff, right? And they said, we're going to forsake it all, we're going to repent of that, and we're going to put it right in you, God. For in you, the fatherless finds mercy. Now, that's what they prayed, That's the prayer of a burdened people. Look what God says. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them. Notice what it says, freely. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from him. How many of you think that's important? I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. It's like it's like a potpourri shop. It's all just too much to take. I can't stand those places. But, you know, it's just my man nose can't handle it. Because I'm just like, I can't. Really, Come in the bath and body. No. What do you smell? Everything. (laughs) There's so much of the good stuff, it's just horrible. But not in the way of God. Can you imagine? This is God saying, I'm going to shower you so much. It's all this imagery that we don't kind of understand, but we kind of do, that it's just really good. And then he says in verse 7, those who dwell under his shadow shall return. That shall be revived like, notice what it says, grain. Now I know a little bit about that. Boy, when you, got a, when you got a corn crop out in an Oklahoma field growing in red clay and it gets so hot from the sun it bakes because it's clay. And you can see those old leaves begin to turn yellow a little. They begin, to, they begin to get stressed. You know you're not putting on anything in that cob. But boy, when those rains come, those leaves that are hanging limp, they just rise up. And they take on that water. And those ears begin to fashion and they begin to get fat and plump. And you just can't wait. Because you go to the combine, you put the combine in the field later and that dries down. You've got to go so slow because it's coming out so fast. It's a good crop. Rain did that. You know what rain's a symbol of? Revival. That's revival. And grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do anymore with these dumb idols? Good question. What would you have to do with them in the first place? It's Again, it's a Barney Five moment. I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. And then they say, Your fruit, your presence, your love, your life, your wisdom is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble. I just read all this to say that he relented from turning them into disaster because of that. Now (laughs) we know and I, I won't go into Jeremiah 18 but it's just more examples of it we know that we're not where we need to be as a country and we know that in many of our churches we're not where we need to be and we know that in our own individual lives, even among this bunch gathered here, that many of us aren't where we need to be in right relationship and obedience before the Lord Jesus. On one hand, we know. We know where that will end up for us. We know. But I just want you to pay attention to the other we know. That if we repent, if we seek the Lord with all our heart, if we turn to Him in obedience obedience, the blessings are there. They're right. They're right there. Why on earth wouldn't we want such a thing? I want to read to you something. I want to, I want to unplug here, so don't panic, Gary. Um, i I've, like I said, I've started this new book. I got so many books going, <laughs> but I want to read to you just a little bit out of uh, out of what. When revival comes, and then maybe this will explain why I talk about it and we talk about it. So I want it to become very common for us to be speaking of it. Want, I'm going to read this. You can't see it. Let me get close. Revival. Revivals are, initi- are God initiated. And God has laid down explicit prerequisites for them. Even when God's people are longing and praying for revival, it comes suddenly and unexpectedly, just as inexplicably revival can dissipate and end abruptly. Revival has always met resistance, even within the church, which may seem surprising, since revivals have been responsible for many significant advances for God's kingdom. Yet, here's what he says about revival, revival also exposes the sin of morbidity of congregation. Numerous accounts of revival testify to the profound sense of God's presence during worship preceding the, rev- preceding the revival. Preceding it. It makes me want to weep, kind of. But the dynamic preaching often experienced in revival contrasts services. These keen awarenesses of God's nearness was noticeably missing in services the anemic and ineffective exhortation of earlier days. In other words, dry preaching, lifeless preaching. The electric singing during revivals eclipses the lifeless music that was the norm. The testimonies of radically changed lives in revival exposes the absence of personal transformation before revival. The fervent and extended prayer times throughout the day and night replace previously forsaken prayer meetings. Most notable is the profound conviction of sin during revival compared to the heretofore complacent and indulgent attitude towards sin before revival. While this book, he writes, is intended to both explain and to promote revival, Brian Edwards was correct in claiming, revival does not need a defense, it needs to be experienced. Amen. And then lastly, revival amplifies the Christian experience making the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life unmistakable. Revival demonstrates what is important to God and it exposes how far God's people have departed from His intention. Revival is not for those who enjoy the status quo. It will disconcert those who rationalize and accommodate their sin. It will unsettle stoic Christians with its fervency. But for those who cannot bear to continue their Christian experience at the same low level to which they have grown accustomed, revival is their deliverance. Amen. When churches realize that if the Spirit does not breathe fresh life into their midst, they will continue to suffer spiritual, spiritual powerlessness and cultural irrelevance, then revival is the answer to their desperate prayers. Chesty Pooler, the most famous Marine that ever lived was in Korea fighting the Chinese via North Korea. <laughs> and they were surrounded. And it was told Chesty well we are surrounded. <laughs> and Chesty responded well they can't get away from us this time. <laughs> I don't like the ugly that's going on. I don't like I don't like the seriousness of the hour. But if that's what it takes, find me a place to lay, and I will pray, and I will afflict myself in the grace of God and plead for His mercy because it's time for the church to be distinct different empowered courageous if you're here today and you've heard me say these things I say it all under this one clarification I know Jesus and he knows me if you don't know Jesus today you don't know what I'm talking about but He's the one that I'm talking to. To turn away from destroying you early. Because He's coming again. And there's a sword going to go out of His mouth. This time. And He's going to smite the nations. They've gathered together in Psalms chapter 2. And they're saying, let us cast off that rope. Let's untie ourselves from the God of heaven and His Messiah. But I know this Jesus. And right now, He stands to save. Do you know Him? Have you repented of your sin? Have you, have you confessed Him publicly? He's your Lord and your Master and you live for Him and Him alone. Because if you have not... Don't think for one second that you can choose to at any time come before the King. You have to be summoned. Amen. You don't ask for a summons. You have to be summoned. And if God is summoning you today, my encouragement to you would be in your chair on this altar. Yes. Cry out and ask God to save you. Amen. And Christian, Christian, what does is, what is the furnace of your soul look like? Do you have a, just a little, little bitty flame? A little bitty? Not much heat. Just a little flicker of what used to be. God needs to breathe on that flame. Amen. And boy, when He blows on it, it will engulf your life. That's what we need. I'm going to ask JT to come. He's going to lead us in a time of just reflection and it's, it's invitation to know Christ, to deal with what you've heard. The altar is open, where you're sitting, maybe you may feel led to go pray with somebody, but during this, as JT plays, I would encourage you to do what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do.